Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Well, welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and I'm joined, as always, with Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Frank. Good deal. Well, I, uh, we're getting close here on the holidays, so uh, the news cycle's a little bit slower, but I do understand that there's been some grants that's uh, come around that you wanted to discuss and how those will be applied towards citrus. Yes, um, we've uh, just recently learned of a, a number of projects that were funded by the USDA um, uh, NEFA program, and um we did really well this year. It, it's we're excited to get the funding. Um, you know, there's things have been tough in our industry lately. I mean, with everything that's gone on weather-wise, and um, and funding's also been down for some for some new citrus research projects. So, getting this infusion of money into the research programs is really going to help us. You know, keep things going um, on our HLB research that's really needed right now. And there were there were eight projects. Um, funded that total about 16, almost 16 and a half million dollars. And so this is actually a, a, a pretty large amount of money coming back into uh, the research programs in the state of Florida, also with some collaborators in other states. Uh, that's really going to help continue to build on the where we've come so far in our research and take it to the next level. That's great. Well, yeah, any, uh, any specific areas of research that uh, might be of interest to the growers? Yeah, so there's. Uh, I'll start off with uh, you know, a couple of the bigger grants. Um, uh, I think the largest one was awarded to uh, Dr. Nian Wong, who is here at the uh, CREC in Lake Alfred, and we've we've heard him talk. Uh, been a lot of talk lately about some of the work he's doing on um, stress effects on the on the plant that caused by HLB. You know, it's due to the uh, people have heard him talk about reactive oxygen species or ROS. And so this proposal that he got funded, uh, $8.5 million, is going to, to kind of take that to the next step and um, looking at ways to uh, minimize stress on the trees and, and, and make these trees more resilient to the HLB pathogen. And so he's looking at things, continuing to look at things like how we can minimize stress in the field. And, and there's a lot of projects working on that aspect as well, not just Dr. Wong, but some others that people are familiar with. Um, but then he's also going to be looking at um, some more biotech approaches to uh, reducing that stress effect um, through things like using the uh, CTV gene or uh, CTV virus uh, to vector or express antioxidant enzymes or silence genes within the citrus plant. And then um, I think everybody knows that Dr. Wong's been doing a lot of work on gene editing. And so he's also going to be doing some gene editing work um, on some certain pathways trying to reduce stress. Uh, effects on those citrus trees that would help it stand up to HLB better. So um, that's a five-year project. It's a, it's a long-term project, um, but again, just building on the, the knowledge that we've had so far to uh, uh, continue to try to develop new tools that may be of use in the future. And and also along those lines, there's another researcher, uh, uh, Dr. Zongling Mo, uh, who's on the main campus in Gainesville. Um, he had a $1.5 million grant funded that's that's doing some similar work. Uh, again, it's, it's gene editing type work. Um, he's identified some really promising targets uh, that might be useful for overcoming HLB. So he'll be doing some gene editing work on those those gene targets. 
And then he's also going to be doing um, some work where they're looking at trying to transfer, uh, you know, resistance from a rootstock up into the scion. Uh, and this is using um, basically microRNAs that can that are in the rootstocks that'll be moved up into the the scion to help protect the tree. So uh, that's some pretty interesting technology that's being developed. And um, uh, so we'll see, be hearing more about that in the future. I hope. Fantastic. There's, there's also some uh, plant uh, improvement work uh, projects that were funded. Um, a lot of people have had a chance now to meet our newest faculty member in Lake Alfred, uh, Dr. John Chater, who's part of the, the plant improvement program. And he received a, a grant that was about $1.1 million. Um, and this is looking at uh, disease resistance um, in rootstocks and, you know, screening all the rootstocks that are in our portfolio of, of, of plant material um, within IFAS and then trying to um, see how well we can transfer if anything that, that shows some promising uh, signs of resistance. How, how can that then be transferred into the sign material to protect the plant? So um, that, that's going to be a project that's starting up, um, and we're excited to see a new faculty member uh, who hasn't been on board that long get that funding. And, um, and also uh, Fred, uh, no, Jude Grosser, um, also had a, about a half million dollar grant, and this is something that's trying to help growers um, get plant material more quickly once it's developed. And I think a lot of people know that sometimes there's a lag from the time that we start to release material to where you can get in the hands of the growers. And, and there's a, a, a nearly a two-year process sometimes it can take to get the plant material cleaned up before it then can go to the nurseries and start being you know brought into production. And so he's got this this project. Um, it's a two-year project to develop new ways to uh, clean up plant material much quicker, so it can be used in research or in uh, plantings for the future. So um, that that's another plant improvement related project that's being funded. Very very good. I you know I know before these storms came through uh, this season of the hurricanes everybody was kind of getting a sense that there's a lot of parts and pieces coming together to sort of begin to turn the corner a little bit uh, with the plant growth regulators and uh, trunk injection and different things. And and it sounds like you, everything you just described there is just another cog in the wheel to, to keep turning towards some progress against this disease. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is. And, and, there's some other projects as well uh, as part of this, this list of eight that were funded. Um, and you mentioned um, some of the, the therapies that are being looked at. Uh, um, Dr. Fernando Alvarez, uh, that everybody knows from the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center uh, in Immokalee, uh, he, he, he was funded about $800,000 to um, continue and expand on some work that's looking at the IPCs, those individual protective covers, and the combination with brassinosteroids to try to understand how those those are working to um, and keep trees healthy and grow up a, a new planting very quickly. And I think that's that's going to be something that growers could use, you know, relatively soon, um, especially if they're having to replant after some of the storm damage or, you know, as grows are going out and, you know, need to replant. Uh, these will be tools that would be very useful in that reestablishing these, these new groves. And um, I'll, I'll go through just a couple other projects that are funded as well. Um, one uh, is related to uh, psyllid management, and Dr. Lucas Stolinski is uh, working with somebody from uh, a faculty member at the University of Connecticut, and they're actually, uh, it's more of a uh, IPM approach to controlling psyllids, 
And I think we've we've heard a lot of projects or a lot of uh, presentations from Dr. Stolinski in the past about the work on the chemical ecology of psyllids, you know, how psyllids smell, if you will. And, you know, one of the things that was looked at for a long time was trying to develop a trap, maybe to trap and kill psyllids. Um, some of it would be based on, like, pheromones produced by psyllids. But over time, what we found out is that the pheromones really aren't that attractive in, in, um, to psyllids at a long distance. And it's really these plant-based compounds, the volatiles from plants, that do a better job of, of attracting psyllids from a distance. And so uh, this faculty member at, at Connecticut has a new technology um, that greatly enhances the delivery of those plant compounds. Can, it can release them um, much more efficiently and make better attract, attracting devices for insects. And so they're actually going to be looking at some of these plant um, bottles um, on these, uh, these new materials that release uh, these chemicals better and to develop an attract and kill approach for psyllid um, that's going to be combined with some work on um, artificial intelligence to help optimize those those release strategies and in, in the field. So that's something I know growers would like to see something like that where you're not relying on pesticides, expensive pesticides in the future. So um, that work was funded. Um, the last two projects on the list, um, Dr. Uh, Kirsten Pelstolinski uh, has a uh, project funded um, to actually a new a new idea here on culturing the uh, HLB-causing bacterium, and they're going to be actually using insect cell lines to do that. And, and you know, while that's important for us, I think one of the big things that can do for us in, in Florida is once they're able to have that, that bacterium cultured, then we can more rapidly screen antimicrobial products, you know, that we would like to put into trees somehow to control uh, the, the disease. So um, that that's also been funded. Uh, and... Um, you know, there's there's so many things going on. Um, you know, we, we talk about all these projects, and there's lots more going on. And um, one of the things um, that the last project that was funded addresses is how do we get all this information in the hands of growers and researchers and and decision makers? Um, because there we really do have quite the information overload really at times that so comes out of all the research. There's lots of information being generated. But how do you make sense of it all? How do you how do you access the information? How do you know how to interpret this and make decisions? And so Dr. Megan Dudney um, received it was a two million dollar grant to develop a new tool that's that would kind of bring all this information together, um, not just publications, but you know data sets and allow people to compare and contrast different studies to see you know because sometimes studies are evaluated differently, but you know, bring all that together in a way that, you know, growers or, or researchers or whoever wants to, you know, look look and see what's been done and what the outcomes were can do it very easily. And because it, it has become very complicated to try to sort through all the information that's generated and and try to figure out what 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 might work or what needs to be addressed. So um, she's got a project to uh, pull all this this massive amount of information from from not just in the U.S., but around the world into one big database that's searchable and accessible to everybody. So um, so hopefully that'll, that'll be a, a tool that will be useful for, for not only growers, but researchers in the future. Well, speaking as an editor, always looking for story leads, I'm definitely interested in that because <clears throat> that sounds like that'd be a great resource uh, for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it seems that when I when I think about the scope of what she's going to be doing, it, it, it's a lot of work to pull that kind of stuff together. So I think she'll have her hands full. I can imagine. I can imagine. 
Well, with that, uh, Michael, unless you have anything else to add, we'll wrap it up. And uh, happy holidays as we head into the holiday season. Yes, you have a good holiday. I'm here today at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford, and I'm here with Asia Paolillo. And uh, we're going to talk hurricanes, but first we're both here in person uh, for the interview today because there was a fruit display here at C-Rec. Asia, what did you think? I think it was great. We were able to taste some juice. We were able to taste some different mandarin hybrids that they have um, available and also some grapefruit hybrids and varieties. Uh, and then there was a pretty uh, pungent, pretty good taste in lime at the end. Yeah, that lime got your attention <laughs> and you had to finish off with that. So any any favorites in the lineups? Uh, yes, there was the hybrid blend of the juice, which I really liked. Then there was a Hamlin-type juice that I thought was definitely a good contender. Um, they had a, uh, a navel-type orange, which I thought was very good as well. And um, I like grapefruit when it's nice and sweet, and so one of those grapefruits I liked as well. So a few, you know, that, that could possibly be contenders in our industry, I think. Yes, one of those grapefruits I really liked, and uh, good, good flavor, good sweetness, and just getting that HLB tolerance is the key. So that's that's what everybody's looking for. Yes, exactly that, and um, just just trying to keep stuff in the market for our industry, definitely. Absolutely. Well, before we get to Hurricane Ian, we <clears throat> just had Hurricane Nicole come through. Um, what I'm hearing is the impact seemed relatively minor. I'm sure there were some that were hit harder than others, but in the territory you cover, uh, what are you hearing in terms of impacts from Nicole? I haven't heard too much, um, which, you know, I don't want to speak to say that either is yes or no, that there was impact. Um, if anything, I would think um, possibly as I talk with growers, I'm going to see if it maybe worsened some of what they have been dealing with, Ian. Um, that I could expect, depending on how much wind or rain came through the area. Yes, and that brings us to Ian. Obviously, that was a big storm and the impacts are still unfolding. Before we talk a little bit, just tell us the territory that you cover, just so we get a sense of where you're at in the state. Okay, yep. So I cover Hardy, DeSoto, and Manatee counties. So that, that that's my territory down there. And as we know, those were some of the hardest hit counties for sure as far as our citrus and uh, ag industries. Right. So, you know, it's been, been a, more than a month now that the storm has come through. And we always know that there's a lingering effect of fruit drop and things like that. Uh, just talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the groves, uh, the range of fruit loss uh, that you're seeing uh, since the storm. Um, well, as the fruit, I guess you could say, starts to decay on the floor, it's, it's definitely more visible um, than when it first happened and the fruit, a lot of the fruit was green. Um, so you had the initial fall, and then I did see a lot of fruit that was still hanging on the tree after the storm that had gotten beaten up. So we would expect that probably to drop, unfortunately. Um, so I think we're, we still haven't probably felt the full effects of that storm as far as fruit drop. Um, I hope that it didn't affect our Hamlins, or I'm sorry, our Valencias as bad as our Hamlins, but that's 
we'll have to just see how that goes. And then, of course, um, you know, any root damage that may have occurred if there was standing water, that's going to take some time to see. I have heard that trees are starting to flush out. So that's, you know, that's expected, of course, after defoliation and having that rain. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's still good, I think, that the trees are starting to try to regenerate themselves. Yeah, shows there's some root activity going on. Mm -hmm. um, what about smaller trees? I was in some groves down that way, <laughs> and they were a lot of trees laid over, and they were trying to stand them up. Um, mm -hmm. What are you seeing with some of the younger plantings? Definitely the same thing, where the trees have been leaned over. Uh, a lot of the IPCs were either blown away, uh, depending on how, if they were tied, and of course the sheer wind force that they did get and receive in that grove. Um, I have had a lot of, you know, growers that I've talked to, you know, wonder, is it worth pulling the trees up? Because even after Irma, some of them said, you know, we didn't bother to pull up some of these trees and they're still kicking, you know, where some of the trees that they did pull up didn't make it. So I think it's going to depend on how much damage was done to the root system, whether pulling up that tree does disturb the roots even more, which it will a little bit. But, you know, if you're cracking the roots and, and how much is exposed at the time. Right, right. And just from a cultural standpoint or production practices, what are some of your growers doing to try to mitigate, you know, the, the effects of the storm uh, after, after floors? Well, we have um, put out recommendations from the researchers here at CRC, like Dr. Tripti Bishop, um, about the GA, to if they have sprayed GA, if they had started that program, which was would have started on the Valencias in September, that definitely if they can get a GA spray out there, that would help the trees kind of recoup. Um, and even if they hadn't started that spray, she still had suggested that. So um, I think some growers, if they are able to, whether it's economics or even purely getting in their grove to spray, which is difficult with some fallen trees, that they may have done that. Um, and then taking care of those young trees where if the IPC was removed to make sure that they are protected with uh, imidacloprid to, um, you know, keep any of those psyllids and off of the trees that may have gotten into there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked with Tripti in the October uh, podcast, so about GA mm -hmm. after the storm. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to the October All In for Citrus, uh, you can hear that there. Uh, so going forward, uh, any any things new on that you're looking for in terms of production? Uh, things to be on the lookout this time of year? Um, I think just trying to see if we can, you know, get past what is, has fallen already. Um, it is a lot, you know, unfortunately for, for the growers. Um, but if we have them, that they're going to grow next season's crop to just try to look ahead at that and, and how we can make that the best crop that we can um, in our control. <laughs> um, and just trying to keep those trees healthy. And I think just looking forward to how the citrus industry is going to sustain itself and, and what we are going to have in the future, whether it's new varieties or cultural practices, um, any of these new uh, chemical treatments that are coming out, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes, but just try to remain hopeful in those that are in it um, and that wish to stay in it. You know, we're here to 
we're here to help you and ride alongside you. Excellent. Very good. I do. I know one of the uh, trunk injection products did get a label, special local needs label. So that's some good news. And let's hope for a better year, better year next year. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, we, that's what I try to be hopeful, you know, and I try to um, spread that that message around as, as best I can. Um, I, keeping understanding that, you know, it is hard and this is the grower's livelihood and it's definitely important. Um, but I do want to stress that, you know, the, I know by the time this podcast goes out, the deadline for applying for the EQIP emergency assistance program will be passed. However, um, they still do have their general program, which has different practices that we know happen in the grove, like irrigation, that sort of thing. So very important to still apply for that program through the NRCS, as well as the tree assistance program, because if there are some of those smaller trees that maybe don't make it, or even other trees that you can um, apply for that program to, to get some new resets in there, I think it would be great. The IPCs are now in a cost share program, which I think is excellent. Um, definitely a great help economically for the grower. So I think that there's some, there's some good stuff that we can take advantage of. We just have to definitely apply, ask your, ask your, um, you know, FSA representative and NRCS, Anything and everything that you think might apply to yourself um, as far as funding for, for that to help get us back on our feet. Very good. With that, we appreciate you and uh, good, good seeing you here at the uh, fruit display. Thank you. You too, Frank. Good to see you. Take care. And now we're joined by Christopher Vincent. He is an assistant professor of tree ecophysiology with the University of Florida. Uh, welcome, Christopher. Thank you. It's great to have you um, again in this episode of All In for Citrus. We're talking about the impacts of uh, Hurricane Ian and to a lesser degree, Hurricane Nicole, uh, which came, I think, 43 days after Ian. Um, I understand after mm -hmm. Hurricane Ian, Christopher, you were given a task to conduct an informal survey on the impacts of the storm. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what that is and, and sort of some of the things that you're hearing thus far. Yeah, so we we realize that there's not a lot of great information about how long it takes for trees to recover from from uh, windstorm damage and and that the hurricane had kind of a gradient of impact all across uh, the orange production area. And so we wanted to take advantage of the opportunity the storm gave us to learn so that, that uh, when faced with future storms, we can uh, make some better predictions about how severe uh, the impacts are, uh, because we know that the impacts are not just limited to the impacts immediately after the storm, but there are costs in terms of uh, later on fruit drop, as well as just uh, time to recovery of, of tree health. So we want to get that information and we want to, as we're gathering it, get it out to growers as quickly as possible uh, so that so they have better uh, better knowledge to, to improve their management. Very good. And you, and you said just in looking back at some of the literature, there was not a ton of information out there uh, on that particular area. So this is kind of an attempt to fill in the fill in the blank, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. We we know a fair amount about flooding, but we don't know a whole lot about uh, you know wind intensity and uh, and damage to trees 
and we don't know much about how long it takes for trees to recover after a storm like this. Initially, just the initial feedback that you're getting from growers, what sort of damage are you are you hearing about? Yeah, so so the biggest concern, obviously, is uh, in the southwest is is with flooding and uh, a lot of variability there in terms of whether growers were able to avoid serious, uh, you know, long-term root submersion, um, and uh, and so so that's the the biggest concern uh, for the health of the trees. Uh, obviously, in in most of the wind impacted areas, very significant fruit drop of all the early uh, the early harvested varieties. Um, and um, what else? Uh, I guess uh, you know there's there's a fair amount. There was a lot of uh, loss of leaves, and so uh, that's the uh, that's a big concern in terms of the long term tree health. The the loss of leaves and the bending of the limbs that we think uh, will impact their ability to to grow over the next several months before in, until they can sort of heal the damage that happened. You also you're also doing some observations on the treatments that growers are doing uh, in their groves to mitigate the effect of the storm or help the trees bounce back uh, more quickly. Talk a little bit about that and some of the treatments that you're seeing out there. Yeah, so uh, we're we're taking account of of uh, tree variety of at least the the major varieties that are being used or that people are interested in in the state. Uh, and then uh, also, you know, there's a there's a number of different practices that we think uh, could impact either uh, the resilience of the trees uh, to to the storm damage or the or the recovery from storm damage uh, that folks were, you know, basically practices that folks were already doing. Uh, and so those include things like uh, the uh, like the IPCs, the individual protective uh, netting that that a lot of folks have out on new trees, uh, the use of gibberellic acid, um, and there's some observations that maybe that's had some positive impacts on the resilience of the trees. Uh, we're, we want to we want to see whether that can be the case. Uh, and, and so we're looking at these different practices that growers are using and trying to see whether those are having an impact on uh, recovery. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the the participation that we get from growers will really impact uh, how much knowledge we're able to give back to them. Uh, so we're, we have a good number of growers who have responded and, and have graciously let us go and um, start taking a look at their trees. Um, and we're still looking for more. We want to really fill that in. As much knowledge as we can get about this topic, the better uh, recommendations we can give in the future and the better information we can give uh, over the course of the next year. And uh, so, I'm just, uh, give a sh call out to everybody who's who's interested. It won't cost much uh, time, won't cost any money. Just uh, just a few minutes to, to talk to us, and then uh, permission to to come out and survey your trees. Good deal. Well, to wrap it up, what will be the, what's the best way for them to reach you to uh, if they are interested in helping? Yeah. So the best way is to send me an email. Um, my email address is civince at ufl.edu. 
And uh, so if you send me an email, uh, just uh, send me an email and give, give me a phone number. If, that, if that's, your, you know, just let me know what your preferred uh, method of contact is and, and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, again, my email address is C-I-V-I-N-C-E at usl.edu. Fantastic. Well, with that, Christopher, we'll wrap it up. We appreciate your time today, and uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.